We're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 44 today, but before we go there, I want to, to look at, at, I want to just reflect on a couple of other passages. Let me set the stage today. Because what we're going to read about in Genesis chapter 44, we're going to read about Judah and how Judah's life is changed. How Judah's life is changed. Where has Judah been? Well, this man Judah, who's one of the brothers of Joseph, in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 37, it was his idea to sell Joseph into slavery. He said, you know, it's, it's, a, waste of, of, it's a waste just to, to kill him. Uh, so he said in verse 26 of chapter 37 of Genesis, Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother? I mean, think about that. He said, we can't just kill him. We've got to make some money off of this thing. And so it was his idea to sell him into slavery. That's where Judah starts out. And then in chapter 38, which we've studied, is an entire chapter on Judah. Over a 22-year period, all this time that his brother has been in Egypt, this was Judah's life, which was chapter 37 of Genesis. In that period of 22 years, he went and he married a Canaanite woman, so he is beginning to blend with those outside the land of the Hebrews, the, the, the family of the Hebrews, something that he was not supposed to be doing. He married a woman and never even tells us her name. It just tells us her father's name. She says she was a Canaanite. He had three sons with that woman. And the first son, he found a wife for his first son. Her name was Tamar. And he was so wicked, it says God took his life because he was so wicked. I mean, there's, there's only a few people in the Bible that are referenced like this where they're so wicked, God just says, I, I just can't take it anymore, and he takes their life. That was his first son. His second son, he says, you go and you take Tamar, your oldest brother's wife, because you have to now raise up offspring in the name of your brother. So Onan goes and he, he, he has a relationship with, with Tamar, but then it says, he, it, the Bible says he shoots his seed onto the ground, and then God kills him because he did not follow through in raising up a seed for his brother. So two of his sons die. His third son is now supposed to marry Tamar. He says to Tamar, well, wait, wait till he gets a little bit older and I'll do it. He didn't do it. So Tamar dresses as a prostitute. Uh, uh, Judah's wife dies. He sees this prostitute. He solicits this prostitute, which is his daughter-in-law. He doesn't even know it. And he has twins by her. His life is a total disaster. It is a train wreck. The 22 years that Joseph has excelled so dramatically in the land of Egypt, from slave to prisoner to king over Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, in the same period Judah's life has become an absolute train wreck. Then I'm going to fast forward and I'm going to tell you what happens in Genesis chapter 49, which we haven't yet studied. In Genesis chapter 49... Jacob says to his sons, come here, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to your life in the future. And he prophesies over each one of his sons, and exactly what he prophesied ends up coming true. But what he prophesied over Judah is, you're the best. It is through you that the Messiah is going to come. It is Your brothers are going to bow down to you. You are the preeminent one. So how does Judah, going from having this train wreck of a life to being the preeminent one in chapter 49. 
And it is revealed in chapter 44. But I also want to read you, before we start reading chapter 44, I want to read you a letter that I got just last night, which is not unlike many letters that I get. So I put this word out that if, if you want to hear about Jesus, want to hear about how I came to Jesus, you send me an email, we will set up a time to meet. So somebody writes to me, I'm not going to, of course, mention his name, but uh, he lives in another country, and he and I are going to meet today, uh, uh, this evening, and, and uh, uh, by Zoom, and, and uh, he will come to salvation today. I know it. I can just tell by what he wrote to me. And here's what he wrote, because I want to set the stage. It's, it's, it says, I recently watched the Scientists Are Clueless presentation on YouTube. I was struck by your story, and I also felt strongly I should ask for your advice or help. In that video, you invited people that did not know Jesus to contact you. I'm a baptized Catholic who has read the New Testament several times as a teenager, but I grew up in a non-believing home. Despite this, honestly, I do not know Jesus because it seems I never invited him into my life or I couldn't have done what I have done. As an adult, I moved away from these beliefs until this time in my life where I have to admit to myself that I have made a mess of my life. I've broken two marriages, I have two broken marriages to look back on and children by several different women. The truth is that I am a self-damaged individual through the choices I have made and the lack of discipline I practice in my life. Recently, looking at the insanity in the world, I was reminded that there is an end of days prophesied and there will be a judgment of humanity. I find myself now thinking on this and knowing I need to reconcile myself with God. I know this sounds like a motivation of fear and not love, but I am just being honest about my fears. Frankly, looking at myself, I do not know where to start and how to move forward. Am I too far gone to be reconciled? How do I even go about it? Can I find Jesus now? Have I sinned too much or too gravely? I would greatly appreciate your advice. Tonight, this man will be saved. That I know. But you see, people, I have seen it for years. I've been working as a professor. I'm in my 30, 32nd year, 33rd year as being a professor. I have seen lives. And I see lives of young people start out. And I see by the decisions that they're going to make... I know what their lives are going to be like 20 years from now. I know. You say, how do I know? Because they just have a lot of data points. And when they make certain decisions, it wrecks their lives. And exactly what happened to this man is going to happen to them. And there's a path and a course. And when we read through chapter 44 today and read about this transformation that happens in Judah's life, I want you to think about this that here's how a life can change. So turn to Genesis chapter 44, and we're going to pick up reading from verse, from, from, uh, uh, verse 14. Genesis 44, verse 14. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that... that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? So Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are 
the, my Lord's slaves, but we and the one, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. So I want to reflect on that verse in verse 16. Judah says, he says, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? This man has come to his wit's ends. No more excuses. It's nobody else's fault. It's me. When a man comes to his wit's end, or a woman comes to their wit's end, and they, they, no more excuses. It's me. I'm the trouble. It's exactly as we have seen with this, in, in this man's, in this man's letter to us, that, to me, that, that he's saying, I blew it. It's me. I am a self-damaged man. It is not my previous wives. It is me. I did this myself. That's the start of it. When I share the Lord with people, the first thing I do is I show them that they are sinners and bring them to a realization that they are sinners. I don't have to do that with this man. He already knows, but that's where it starts. And then he says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. This is the first time we read about, we read about uh, uh, Judah in, ver- in chapter 36. We read about a whole I'm sorry, in chapter 37, we read a whole chapter on Judah in chapter 38. Whole chapter. Never does he mention God. No mention of God. We read about all the brothers in, in several chapters before verse chapter 44. No mention of God. Now, all of a sudden, the word God comes out of his mouth. He is appealing to God, just like this email that came to me last night. He says, I gotta come back to God. Since he was a teenager, he hasn't reflected on this. This is how you turn. This is how you go from a train wreck of a life to being restored. You take responsibility. We take responsibility for what we've done. And then you start invoking the name of God. I need God. And then he says, he's found out the iniquity of your servants. He knows what I've done. We realize that our sins are before God. And he says, we're going to be your slaves now. And he he says, whatever happens to me, I deserve. I don't deserve your goodness. This is how a life transforms in an instant. It goes from being a total disaster to being a life of victory in an instant. Just like this. And he says, I only deserve slavery. But he said in verse 17, Far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slaves. But as for you, go in peace to your father. So he says, you can go. I'm just just one Benjamin because he's the one with the cup. And what we're going to see now is we're going to see an amazing thing happen. What we're going to see is we're going to see how Judah's life totally changes all of a sudden, his total interest is in doing what is good for his father, Jacob, the interests of his father, Jacob, and the interest in the son whom Jacob loves, meaning Benjamin. His interest was in his father, Jacob, and in the interest of the son whom he loved. When our interest starts to turn toward God the Father, and we care about his interests and his feelings and his, what's going on with him. And we start caring about his son, Jesus. The life totally changes in an instant. This is the outcome of it. 
Verse 18, Then Judah approached him and said, O my Lord, may your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. So he pulls aside from all his 11 other brothers who were there, and he says, Can I speak a word in your ear? Just me and you. So they go aside. There had to have been an interpreter there because Joseph still hasn't yet revealed himself, but it's just the two of them speaking through an interpreter. And he starts to recount what has happened over the last six months or so since the first time they had come to Egypt. He recounts that. He says, My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? We said to my Lord, We have an old father and a little child and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. We have an old father, and he loves this child, his youngest child, Benjamin. Now Benjamin is not a boy anymore. Benjamin is 33 years old, because we know from the text that, 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 that uh, 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 Joseph is 39, and there was a six-year difference. So he's 33 years old. But I still look at my youngest son, who is 25, as a little bit of a treasure in my heart because he's my youngest son. Parents will always look at their youngest and they, they, they look at them a little bit differently. And he viewed Benjamin differently. Benjamin came along from this wife who we really loved several years after all the other kids were born and uh, uh, he still looked at him differently. And he says, there was another brother, but that other brother is now dead. And it's interesting that he assumes that he must be dead, which is probably a good assumption. We sold him into slavery 20, 22 years ago. I mean, can a man last 22 years as a slave? It's hard, because there was such abuse. And then it says, it says, uh, um, it says, Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. So he takes an oath. He says, you made an oath, Joseph, king of Egypt. When you said that oath, you're not going to see my face again. That's an oath. You will not see my face unless you bring your brother. And he said, he said uh, I knew, in verse 22... If anything happened to this child, my father would die. You see his interest in the father? This is how that train wreck of a life of Judah turns in an instant. So that in the end, he is so blessed by his father. He is given preeminence that through him the Messiah is going to come. He was the one who recommended selling his his brother into slavery. He was the one who has an entire chapter of how he just destroyed his life with women how his sons, two of his three sons, were so evil that they were killed right there before the Lord. Total disaster of a life. Boom! You see it turning in an instant. Where he first thing, he repents. He says, it's all me. It's all my fault. He invokes the name of God, and now he takes the interests of his father. And he takes the interests of the son whom the father loves. He says... Uh, in verse 24, Thus it came about, when he went up to your servant, my father, when we went up to your servant, my, to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. 
Our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is not with us, then we will not go, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Look what he, 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 this is interesting. This is the first time Joseph realizes what his father Jacob thought about his disappearing. Why didn't Jacob launch a search for his son when he didn't come back? Because the brothers have said, we found this cloak which they had dipped in goat's blood. And he says, is this his? And his father says, my God, he's been torn to pieces. He's been torn to pieces. He realizes, Joseph is realizing for the first time why a, a search wasn't, wasn't sent out, because his father was under the impression that he was dead. And then he says, if any far, harm befalls this, this boy, my, it's, it's just going to tear my father apart. It says in verse 30, Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. You see, he says, my father's life is bound up in the life of this, this young man. My father's life is bound up in his life. Any parent knows that. A parent knows that our lives as a parent are bound up in the lives of our children. If our children hurt, we hurt. If our children are doing wrong, we feel the pain of it because we know that the, the things that's, that are going to happen in their lives because of it. His life was bound up in the life of this youngest son of his. He says, if I do this, it's going to destroy him. It'll destroy him. He will die. My father, he says, will die. It's total interest in, the, in his father's well-being. Verse 32, For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go to my father if the lad is not with me for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father? This is the man's total interest is the interest of his father. This is Judah's total interest. It has totally changed from what it was. He didn't care about anything. He only cared about himself. And now his total interest is in his father. When you make a decision for the Lord, when you decide to come back to the Lord, you, it, what you need to do is you need to first say, you know, it, it's, it's, this is all me. It's a confession. It is all me. It is all my fault. It's nobody else's fault. It's not, it's not my former wife's fault. It's not my girlfriend's fault. It's not my boyfriend's fault. It's not my mother's fault. It is my fault. And then there's a confession to saying, I have iniquity in my own heart. I need God. Crying out to God. This, this, this confession of, I need God. And then it is looking out for the interests of God. I'll tell you, you know, when I do something, I'm always thinking, I mean, God looks at this. 
I mean, what is God going to think when He sees this? And it brings me to repentance because I think about God being there. I think about my Lord Jesus Christ, what He's done in my life. God cares so much about His Son. You know, God said of, of, of His Son, He says in, in, in Matthew 17, verse 5, He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. God the Father speaks from heaven so that the disciples can hear this. How often did God speak from heaven in an audible voice to the disciples? Like really rarely? Like now? Like this instance? And of all the things for Him that He could have said, He could have talked about Moses, He could have talked about all the things, He could have talked about you know, how great this, this, uh, uh, this salvation was going to be that was going to come to His Son. He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I really like this one. This Son of mine, He is the best. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. He is so focused. God the Father is so focused on His Son Jesus. Just like Jacob was so focused upon Benjamin. His life was wrapped up in Benjamin. When we show interest in the Son, it brings great closeness to the Father. I want you to look at another verse. Look at, at uh, uh, John chapter 14, verse 21. John chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Isn't that interesting? If you love Jesus, you'll be loved by God the Father. You want the God in hev of heaven and earth to love you? Love Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Every good thing is embodied in Jesus Christ. Everything that is good is embodied in Jesus Christ. He says, he who loves me will be loved by my father. He who loves Benjamin is going to be loved by, by Jacob. He says, I, I got to take care of this boy. I will go into slavery. Let me serve as a slave. Let him please go back to his father. When we take an interest in Jesus and what Jesus cares about, there is this tremendous love poured from heaven upon us. You want to do good for your family? You want to do good for your future children? Love Jesus. Love the Son. Take an interest in Him. And this will please the Father. Then he goes on to say in verse 21 of John chapter 14, And I will love Him and will disclose Myself to Him. In other words, if, if He who has My commandments and keeps them is the one who loves Me. If we keep the commandments of Jesus, we will be loved by Him. And He will disclose himself to us. He will disclose himself to us if we love him. He will disclose himself to us. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, what then will happen that you are going to disclose yourselves to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. How does Jesus measure our love for him? And it's obedience to his word. It's not 
saying, you know, hallelujah. It's not a bunch of Hail Marys. It is obedience to His Word. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my Word. You take the Word of God and you love it. Love the Word of God. Love the Scriptures. Love the Scriptures. Make this your passion, your love. Every word in the Scriptures is, is true. Every word. And I know there's lots of, lots of really smart people who go around thinking that, oh, this part's not real, that part's not real. They're wrong. They are wrong. Every word in this book is true. Make this Word of God your directive. Follow this. Your life will go well. Disobey it. Your life will not go well. Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. So in other words, when we keep the words of Jesus, His Father loves us. Why? Because His Father loves the Son. As we obey Jesus, the Father loves us, and we will come to Him and make our abode with Him. Who's the we? That's Jesus and His Father. Jesus and His Father make our abode, make their abode with us. They come to us. When we show interest in the Son, and we, because we know how the Father respects that Son, how the Father loves that Son, how the Father's life is tied up in the life of that Son, that will take even a train wreck of a life and restore it. Restore it to majesty, as Judah was restored. Judah still had his two sons were gone. They were gone. They weren't coming back. But the life from that point turned amazingly. And it was through Judah... His son Perez, one of the twins that was born through his daughter-in-law, Tamar, that ends up in the line of the genealogy of Jesus through Mary. And so you see that God comes and He does this sort of thing. God does this. Look in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 26. John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You want the honor of God, the honor of God from heaven and earth to look down upon you with honor? Serve Jesus. Serve Jesus. Serve Jesus. I will pour out myself in service to Jesus. I will pour out myself in service to Him. Over the years, my colleagues have said, why do, why do you give so much time to your church and all of these sort of things? I'm like, why do I give time to my work? I mean, this is service to Jesus. I have to invest in young people's lives. The things that He has shown me, I must share with them. The life that He has given me, I must share with them. The things that Jesus has blessed with me, I must share with them. This is how we... And then what happens is, the Father sees this and it says, says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You know what God does? He sees me serving Jesus and putting my interests in the ways of Jesus. And the Father looks upon my labors, my work, my work at the university, my research, and boom, he just starts pouring out blessings. Because it says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And I really feel this. That, that you know, in the morning, you know, God just says to the angels, stand back. <laughs> I gotta bless that guy. I'm gonna bless him. Because he cares about my son. 
and he's serving my son. I have all the good to speak about Jesus. Everything good, everything good. Jesus is so good. When we carry a cross, he carries it with us. And the heavier end of the cross is over on his shoulder, not on ours. If there's anything, if it, if it's, if, if there's, if there's, you, you know, if, if it's wind and, and rain, Jesus takes the bleak side of the hill. Everything, he takes the brunt of it for me. He is good in every way. He allows things to come in our life that test us, that, that refine us, but he's right there with me. He has always stood by me. Paul said when he was in prison, the Lord stood at my side and spoke to me that night. And that's what I really feel, that whatever I go through, the Lord Jesus is standing at my side. I show an interest in Him. He shows an interest in me. <clears throat> and His Father shows an interest in me. This is how it is. This is how Judah's life totally changed. If you don't know the Lord today, I urge you, please decide to follow the Lord today. Your life can be turned around. You send me an email tour at rice.edu. I will set up a private Zoom conversation with you. You will know the Lord that day. You'll get to know the Lord that day. I'm convinced. I do this again and again. I know this because if you reach out to me saying you want that time, that tells me where your interest is. And when you're interested in knowing the Lord, nothing can hold you back. If you don't know the Lord today, I urge you to know Him. If your life has gone on that route to destruction, if you have done things that were totally self-inflicted, you're not the only one. This person that wrote to me, he's not even in this country, so you, 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 you don't know him. This person, this is characteristic of many emails that I get all the time from all over the world. And I bring restoration because I bring the message of Jesus. It is so much fun for me. And I know as soon as I sit down with them, I start talking. I know in 30 minutes, they're going to be praying the, 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 the sinner's prayer and inviting Jesus into their life. And I see them changing over and over again. And I see tears pouring out and I see lives changing. I say, see people saying, I don't know how to explain what's just happened to me. And I set them up in Bible study. I don't just let them go. I set them up in Zoom Bible study with other people that I know, some of whom are in this class, and, and they go through Bible study with them because I just can't keep up with all the people that I speak to. But what I've got for you here is a treasure. It's the treasure of salvation that Judah realized in chapter 44 of Genesis that set his life on a new directive so that he ended up being the preeminent among his brothers. That was the turning point. He didn't have to beat himself over the back with chains. His life testified to himself that his life was an utter disaster. I urge you this day, turn your life to Jesus. Turn your life to him. Don't let this day go by. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the truth of your word, for the life of Judah that demonstrates for us what we need to do, how we come before you saying, it is my fault, no excuses. I have destroyed my life. The Lord God has found out the iniquity and that we would take the name of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, on our lips and cry out to Him. 
and say this very day, Lord Jesus, forgive me for what I have done. I am wrong. I am a sinner. Come into my life. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me on the cross. Thank you because you have risen from the dead. Come into my life. Change my life this day. Father, I pray that these young people would remember this message. Father, that they would remember this message, that in God there is total security. And they would respect your word and love your word and honor it, honoring your word. They would love your word and honor it. Father, I pray you draw them close to Jesus. You draw them close to your Son. They would love the Word of God and they would love the Son whom you love. As you said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Lord, of all things that you could have spoken, you told us to listen to Him because you're so pleased with Him because He is your beloved. Lord Jesus, I pray for these young people that they would listen to Jesus. They would read your word and heed his words. Father, I commit their lives to you. And if anybody here listening to this does not know you, that this very day they would pray, Lord Jesus, come into my life. And Lord, I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.